it is one of the most popular and controversial letters written on American soil. It is known as the Bixby Letter. In November 1864, the governor of Massachusetts wrote to President Abraham Lincoln and asked him to compose a condolence letter to Lydia Bixby. It was reported that her five sons had all been killed in battle during the Civil War. So the president penned a 139-word letter expressing his sorrow and praying, quote, Our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost, end quote. That was beautiful. But scholars and historians argue whether it was Lincoln or his talented secretary, John Hay, who wrote that letter. But either way, that letter is one of the most famous letters written during war. But before the Bixby letter, Mordecai's letter was one of the most famous letters written during war. His letter followed the diabolical decree Haman sent in the king's name to annihilate all Jews living in Persia. And Although the king could not reverse the decree to destroy the Jews, Mordecai's letter in the king's name gave them the royal right to defend themselves against their enemies. When the Jews received and read that letter, they were filled with joy. Their death sentence was lifted. Their enemies still attacked on the appointed day, but the Jews marshaled their own army and defeated their enemies. Although we do not read once of God's name, His providence and protection were with His people all throughout the remarkable story of Queen Esther. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast. Brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. On this beautiful summer day, we are working through summer 2021, lesson number eight, entitled Elevated to Influence. If you have your student guide, go ahead and open that up to lesson eight, July 25th, 2021, Elevated to Influence. And we're going to read from Esther chapter nine, verse one. So if you have your student guide, you can read from there or your Bible, read from there. Esther chapter nine, verse number one. Now in the 12th month, that is the month Adar. On the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution, in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary that the Jews had rule over them that hated them, the Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus to lay hand on such as sought their hurt, and no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all the people. And all the rulers of the provinces and the lieutenants and the deputies and officers of the king helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. And here is our key verse, verse 4. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went out throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, and slaughter, and destruction, and did what they would unto those that hated them. Verse 13, Then said Esther, If it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews which were in Shushan to do tomorrow also according unto this day's decree, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. And the king commanded it so to be done, and the decree was given at Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. For the Jews that were in Shushan gathered themselves together on the fourteenth day, also of the month Adar, and slew three hundred men at Shushan, but on the prey they laid not their hand. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives, and had rest from their enemies, and slew of their foes seventy of five thousand, 
but they laid not their hands on the prey. On the thirteenth day of the month Adar, and on the fourteenth day of the same, rested they and made it a day of feasting and gladness. What an amazing reversal. What an amazing story. By God's help, Queen Esther had achieved victory over Haman. In Esther chapter 7, Haman's evil plot against God's people was revealed, and Haman was hanged on the very gallows he had built for Mordecai. That's a remarkable reversal. And this important victory brought rest and reprieve to Esther and Mordecai, but the decree of King Xerxes remained in effect. They had won a battle, but they still had not yet won the war. So Esther sought the king's favor again. She fell at his feet and petitioned him on behalf of the people. We read that in Esther 8. And in Esther 8, verse 3, Esther spoke again to the king. The king once again held out the golden scepter to her. Esther again risked her life for her people, demonstrating God's love for her people by bringing their needs to the king, and she had nothing to gain. What a stirring example of courage instead of fear and faith in God instead of doubt. Sometimes it can be challenging for us to petition God on behalf of others when there's really no benefit for us, but Scripture commands us to do so, to bear one another's burdens. And when we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. When we care for others, especially when there's little or no benefit to ourselves, we demonstrate the selfless, giving love of Jesus. And God is glorified and his church is edified. So think about it right now. What are some things we can go to our king for on behalf of others? Maybe prayer requests, maybe needs. What are ways we can bear one another's burdens, much like Esther bore the Jews' burdens when she went to the king on their behalf? Intercession really is something as simple as going to the king on somebody else's behalf. Esther petitioned the king to reverse the decree of Haman, but he could not reverse it because once he had written what he had written, what was written was written. In case you're just joining us, Haman was so hateful and angry because Mordecai, a Jew, would not bow to Haman when Haman walked by. This whole story, this whole diabolical plot came about because Mordecai would not bow to Haman, and Haman created a plot to destroy not only Mordecai, every one of God's people, all the Jews. It reminds us of how much our enemy hates us. The enemy hates God's people. He's bent on destroying the people of God. He'll use every strategy available in order to achieve his diabolical goal. We must be vigilant to stand against him. We must recognize the enemy still seeks to destroy individuals and the entire church. So to stand against those evils Esther sought to reverse what was written, but she knew what was written was written. She couldn't reverse it. So maybe, maybe Esther was asking for this because she was setting the bar at the very highest place. She was asking for the very most the king could do, even though technically, according to their law, the king couldn't do it. But she was asking for it anyways. That's an important lesson for us. We should think about our prayers. Do our prayers honor God as the maker of heaven and earth? Do our prayers honor God and recognize that he has the power to change the world, that God honors bold prayers? I pray you are reminded that God answers prayers, but they're not. he doesn't just answer small prayers. He answers big, bold prayers. Think about it in your own life. How have you seen God answer prayer in your life or in the life of somebody you know very well, especially when that prayer was a big, bold prayer that only God could answer, but he did. Esther had a life and death problem for her people. They were about to be destroyed. She sought to reverse it, couldn't reverse it. So she's left to figure out how to do this. 
There's a story about a husband and wife who worked and lived in a large city. And because they lived in an urban area, they used public transport for all their commuting. They lived in a small apartment, but they had a very large dog. But sadly, their dog passed away. And so they needed to bury their dog. Well, the wife called the veterinarian who kindly agreed to take the remain and dispose of them. But now she had to find a way to get the dog's remains to the vet's office. How, pray tell, do you do that in public transport? She found an old suitcase and stuffed the dog's body inside, made her way downstairs, boarded the train, and tried to lift the luggage into the overhead compartment, but just couldn't do it. Thankfully, though, there was a kind stranger who offered to help her. But she knew it's inside the bag, and she didn't want them handling that luggage, so she refused. But obviously, even though she tried to lift and tried to lift, couldn't lift it on her own, so the stranger picked it up for her, placed it in the overhead compartment. And while doing so, just happened to mention, wow, this bag is really heavy. What's inside? Now she's really embarrassed. How do you say, oh, it's just my dead yellow lab? So she lied. She said, it's full of computer parts. And when she stopped, she pulled the bag down and she got off the train. And right after she got off the train, the stranger who helped her lift the luggage grabbed it and ran down the street with it. <laughs> Problem solved. Sometimes life's that way. Sometimes there are easier solutions for the hard problems, and sometimes there aren't. For Esther, the king could not reverse her decree. But the king did give Mordecai the power to write another decree. Esther 8.8 8 tells us that King Xerxes told Mordecai, You write a decree, whatever you want to say. You write it in my name. You seal it with my ring. You can say whatever you need. There was nobody better than Mordecai to write that. Mordecai knew what it was like to live as a Jew in the land of Persia. And so he could write this decree in a way that would empower the Jews and equip them for this battle and for other battles. And everybody who read it would read it as if the king himself had written it. And nobody, not even in the far-off provinces of the kingdom, would blithely consider not following the king's decree. It carried the king's word and authority and impact wherever anybody read it. When they read that letter, it would be as if the king himself had ridden on his horse to their province or their city and delivered that word in person. And further, it was signed with his ring, which affirmed its authenticity and its authority. Mordecai and Esther, together with their faith, stood against the diabolical decree of Haman, and it could have met their deaths. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. The three Hebrew young men, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, in the book of Daniel. We see that in Daniel, as he stood against the king's decree in the book of Daniel. We see that in the New Testament, as the apostles often took a stand whenever enemies tried to prohibit and persecute the progress of the church. And so it's happened in the Old Testament, it's happened in the New Testament, it happens now. We, present-day disciples, we must do the same. We must stand against the diabolical decrees of the enemy. And some of them are political and societal decrees, but most of them are decrees of the world, the flesh, the devil, our enemies, who consistently tempt God's people to sin, decreeing to us that sin isn't dangerous. The enemy discourages God's people by decreeing doubt about the goodness and the love of God. Have you ever heard the enemy of your soul ask you the question, why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people like that? In those times, we have to stand against the decrees of the enemy. We must stand in faith. We've got to push back against the decrees of darkness. And we do that through prayer. We do that through praise. We do that through witnessing. We do that through worship. Those are all effective ways we can destroy the decrees of the adversary. What are some other ways we can take a stand against the enemy's decrees? As you read on through Esther, 
Esther chapter 8, verse 9 tells of the king's scribes and the couriers. They were summoned to Mordecai to help him complete the letters. This is incredible that a Jew would have all the help of the monarchy, all the help of Persia to help them with these decrees and these letters. They were written in every language of the various people in the Persian Empire, including Hebrew. And they were distributed by the couriers of the king using the, quote, swift horses that belonged to the king. Mordecai and his crew got to ride in the king's sports cars to deliver these letters. This was even better and faster than Amazon Prime. The letters that they sent out allowed the Jews, empowered them to defend themselves from the attack of the enemy and gave the authority of the king to do it. It mirrored the evil edict of Haman as serving as a counter edict. Haman said all the Jews had to be destroyed, and Mordecai said all the Jews could destroy anybody who tried to destroy them. God had turned the decree of the enemy on its head and enabled his people to not only survive, but also to thrive during this battle. And it's likely that this decree prevented many future battles and many future attacks from occurring, but whenever those attacks did arise, God's people had the king's authority to defend and fight their battles. Esther 8.17 is a behind-the-scenes look at what it was like when those letters arrived. Imagine when the first letter arrived that said they would all be destroyed, but now this letter arrives with the king's authority, with the king's ring, in the king's name, and says all the Jews can fight and they can destroy anybody who tries to destroy them. God's commands are able to bring life out of death, able to bring joy out of sorrow. And when God's commands are heard and God's commands are read, there is joy and gladness. We can be encouraged and have cause to celebrate just as the Jews did because our God will defend his people. The one who hopes in God finds in him a shield and a hiding place, Psalm 119, 114. Our faith in God is a shield that pulls us out of the way so God can fight our battles and we take refuge in his care. When we read the story of Esther, Maybe it should also be known as the story of Esther and Mordecai because he is as much a hero in the story as she is. Mordecai was faithful. He served the king. He uncovered an assassination plot. He was faithful to God. He refused to bow to Haman in chapter 3 when he worshipped God alone. And when this evil edict was given, Mordecai pled with Esther to appeal to the king on behalf of the Jews. Mordecai led the way, and God used him to bring about this deliverance. And so, because of his faithfulness, God elevated Mordecai. From the outside looking in, it would look like Mordecai's promotion and elevation started whenever the king gave it to him, but it didn't. Esther chapter 4, the Bible tells us when he heard about Haman's decree, Mordecai tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and began to fast for God to intervene. That doesn't really look like the beginning of elevation. In fact, that looks like the beginning of humility, but that's the way elevation works in God's kingdom. Do you remember reading somewhere in the New Testament that God will exalt the humble, but he will abase the proud? So when Mordecai began to humble himself, God began to exalt and elevate Mordecai. He could have tried to revolt in the provinces. He could have tried to revolt right there in Shushan in the capital city, but he would not have succeeded. Instead, rather than try to fight the battle on his own, Mordecai sought God and discovered all along God had a plan. And that plan was so that his people could be saved. That sounds a lot like where we are. Many times when God elevates us, it's not for us to get glory. It's for other people to be saved. And God still elevates. He elevates people to influence whom he chooses. 
Some are chosen for places of influence in government, others in business, others in leading churches, others in organizations. But the most important elevation from God we will ever receive is when God elevates a person to influence the life of another person so that person can be saved. When God elevates us to have influence so we can disciple somebody else to know Jesus. Many people will never lead, never be elevated to a place of national influence, and that's okay. Many of us will never speak on a national stage, and that's okay. But every one of us can be elevated by God to speak to somebody about the saving name of Jesus and testify the gospel in our lives. It begins to fulfill the purpose, turning people to him so they can experience forgiveness. They can be baptized in his lovely name and filled with his spirit. Let's pray for God to elevate us, but not to a position of influence for our namesake, but for his And not for our glory, but for his. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for your goodness to us. I thank you, God, for lifting us up when we will humble ourselves. I do pray, help us today to humble ourselves. Help us never to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And help us, Lord, when you do elevate us to see that you are doing so for your glory and for others to be saved. I pray, use us today. Give us influence. Give us favor. Open doors for us we could not have opened ourselves but not for ourselves. Lord, use us to reach others, to disciple others, to help them to know you like we are so richly blessed to know you. I pray use us for your glory today. And when you do it, we will give you all the honor, all the praise, all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in to God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. I pray this has been encouragement to you and giving you some direction on what God wants to do through you today for the sake of his name and for the sake of others. We are just about to roll out a brand new product with Pentecostal Publishing House and Word of Flame called God's Word for Life. It's beautiful, full color, excellent design, even more excellent content. It's a powerful product that will help you to draw closer to God and help you to disciple others to do the same. So if you want to get a sneak peek preview at that, just visit godswordforlife.faith. You're really going to enjoy that. Next week... We take a look at lesson number nine, entitled Life and Hope, dated on August 1st, 2021, and it's going to come through Joel chapter two. I'm looking forward to working through and walking through that with you, and always look forward to learning from and living out God's Word for life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, Make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.